Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Cloud security monitoring and logging tools are useful for watching over the security health of your cloud infrastructure. But these tools often lack the awareness and context of your data in the cloud. And if you handle confidential, personal, or other regulated data, the inability to protect that data could be devastating to your business. Listen later to learn how OpenRaven helps protect you from sensitive data loss before it's too late. Good evening, Jonathan, Peter, and Ryan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Although after this week, it feels a bit like 2020 still. <laughs> I don't know if with the uh, congressional uh, attack and all the things going on in the... Oh, and apparently Ryan's having emergency signals because... Nice. You could evacuate. I mean, that... If it's a perfectly, I can't even edit that. Yeah, out. no, that we got to keep that in, right? Like, that. <laughs> is it a pre-earthquake alert or something? I have no idea. My phone's like all the way across the. Oh man, some old person has run away from home. I hope it's. I mean, who knows right now with what's going on now? Like, I originally saw the show title and I thought it was F the news, and I'm like, I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, I'm just glad I didn't ask how we were doing. <laughs> It's been a long week. The first week of 2021 has definitely been rough. Well, we have several bits of news here for you guys this week, but not a lot. So it'll be sort of nice for a change. I don't know what to do with myself with all this extra time. Maybe I can file, I can pull something in. We'll, we'll see what we can do. First up is ACM Certificate Manager is now FedRAMP compliant. ACM, which includes the private CA, is now authorized for FedRAMP moderate in Virginia, Ohio, North California, and Oregon. And is FedRAMP high now in GovCloud West and East regions, as well as supports the DoD Cloud's Computing Security Requirements Guide Impact Level 2 DoD SRG-IL2. I was a little perplexed. and like, I know I wouldn't even include the story, but really, what exactly does require to make FedRAMP? compliant for ACM? It's just a certificate. Like the thing you put the certificate onto needs to be compliant. It's just a bit interesting. Maybe it's generation of the uh, keys though, because if it's a private CAs and things, then upload keys or generate keys. I would hazard a guess that they're using enclaves to meet some mm. compliance requirement. Mm, interesting. I had a much more cynical take on the compliance. They basically went through and just said, oh, it already does this. It already does this. It already does this rubber stamp, you know, like... <laughs> I love the acronym for the third party assessment organization now. The POW. <laughs> nice. <You> see that? <laughs> I don't know anybody who likes managing their own certificates. So the more use cases we could use ACM, the better. For yeah. sure. I can't believe that companies like Digicert still exist after the, yeah. you know, this product. Yeah. Like, uh, it's crazy. $400 a certificate. Yeah. Right. And then yeah. all you got to do is just automate something against Let's Encrypt or ACM. It's crazy. Yeah. What was the one before that? What oh, was VeriSign and Thought? Those are the other two. I remember just like $400 for a certificate. No wonder why no one ever does this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like making it certificates like free and through Let's Encrypt and stuff like that has really increased the security of the internet in a big way, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Now you no longer have to issue wildcard certs because you're broke. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't forget yeah. the EV certificates, which cost even more. And mm-hmm. they're only yeah. for a third of the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was thought maybe, or maybe it was VeriSign and like the wildcard certificate was four times the price because they knew that's exactly yeah. what you were doing. And yeah, then mm-hmm. the EVP certificate is even worse, right? It's just awful. And then of course they'd expire and you'd forget about it and miss the renewal email and then you'd have an outage because your SSL certificate was dead. So yeah, fun times. I don't know about any of that with ACM, it's magic. So I like magic. Yep. All right. Well, next up is an interesting story. I think I missed the first time around, but apparently AWS was sued a couple of years ago by 
a company called ActionSoft in China. Uh, apparently, they trademarked in 2004 the letters AWS and then basically sued Amazon when they came into the market in 2016 and 2017 and said the trademark infringement. And apparently, they won that case and had a judgment of $12 million. And now, apparently, Amazon is going to appeal that, saying that you know they've been using that trademark since 2002 in the United States, even though they didn't come into China until 2016 and 2017. Who would have thought that you could just trademark something in China and then sue people when they come into your country for the first time? That sounds awesome. I thought it was the other way around, where it's generally China sort of violating, or companies in China violating a lot of other countries' trademark. So this is it's funny to see the role reversal. I'd like exactly. to see how they get from ActionSoft to AWS as being a reasonable ActionSoft Web Services. Really. <laughs> <laughs> right. I followed the link right. in the news article to the Chinese trademark office, and it said I had to register to get the information. So I was like, "Nope, nope, out of that." Yep, pass. <laughs> also, pass. I mean, I didn't know they you were using English. That's interesting. That the English alphabet is something that they proactively trademarked. Yeah, mm. I mean, that's interesting. The I mean, Chinese one. Uh, yeah. there's, there's it's one like of those things that they had to know that eventually Amazon was going to come into China market, and then they just proactively did it in some level. Mm. But could be. Yeah, I have some kitchen scales, though, made by a company called AWS, which came from China. So I have no idea who that is, but I used to be Avery Way Systems. Now it's Avery Waytronics, but clearly three-letter ac- acronyms are just not something that makes sense to try and trademark. You know who should be suing is the American Welding Society should be That's suing right. everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We've been using this right. sign since 1860. <laughs> <laughs> the one that cracks me the most is if you ever want to go to Nissan car dealership or to Nissan cars and see their website, you think it's Nissan.com. But it's not. It's Nissan USA because Nissan.com is some computer manufacturer. Basically, Nissan tried to sue out of existence back in the early days of the internet and failed. And so, literally, it was a computer company at one point. Now, it's just really a landing page that says, screw Nissan. And (laughs) (laughs) here's our ads. So, you just paid us money because you came to this website by mistake. Ha, 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 Nissan. (laughs) So We'll we'll uh, sell it for $1 billion. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well, we'll see how that turns out. I suspect that Amazon will not be successful in the Chinese political system and legal system, considering it's not really in their favor. So we'll see. There was an interesting proposal that came out in response to this. I mean, not from Amazon or anyone, just sort of a general wish from Twitter community, which was, you know, this would be an opportunity for AWS to sort of drop the Amazon part of their name, just so that the companies like Walmart and I guess there's another big retailer that it's blanking on, you know, wouldn't have that conflict of interest necessarily seeing it as just benefiting their competitor. So it's, I, I doubt I, that I their that concern fine. is, there's no <laughs> chance, but I thought it was a very interesting thought. Yeah. But I don't think that the problem that Walmart has with Amazon Web Services is the fact that it's Amazon Web Services. I think the fact is they're paying money to their biggest competitor. <laughs> no, that's exactly <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> so. But it would be a way or at least an opportunity to begin distancing those two companies because they're very while they're still one company they are very separate business units and one could exist and make a ton of money without the other they'd both make a ton of money and what so, are they going to call it pick a different river is it the Nile web services now <laughs> <laughs> yeah I didn't see that also thread, but that's interesting in China. speculation but again why would you rebrand AWS to like it's so well known at this point like would they go like the weird century link way and call them to Lumen or something like <laughs> There's so many bad examples of how not to do this. There's, yeah. Yeah. But based on their naming of products, I'm terrified of what they would name this thing. Oh, no, that'd be so entertaining. It'd be great. <laughs> Maybe they'll name it Honey Cloud or something. No. Oh, God. <laughs> if that doesn't exist, we should register it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should. Shop 53. Yeah, or Honey Cloud. 
All right. Next up is a New Year's gift from Amazon. It was services. If you're a big user of SQS, they are giving you a discount now based on tiered pricing for your monthly API requests to SQS. Tiered pricing will provide you discounts based on your monthly usage and will get as low as 24 cents per million requests for standard queues and 35 cents per million requests for FIFO queues. For a customer who's using 500 billion requests a month, this could save them up as much as 29% on their monthly SQS bill, which is not a small amount of money. Tier pricing is variable in all commercial and GovCloud regions where SQS is available, except for China. This is going to benefit me personally, and I like that. So I can't argue with that. I don't think I have quite 500 billion requests a month, but it feels like it. Maybe close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought they were going away from tiered pricing. S3 used to be super tiered. Now it's not. And the whole concept of tiered pricing to me is, I mean, it used to make sense when you get a lower price at scale, but I thought the pricing was supposed to reflect the scale of all of Amazon's customers as a whole. And that's why they were really moving away from this. So discounts are good. I'm happy for lower prices. That's awesome. But I'm surprised they're doing it in the form of tiered pricing. I mean, if you're doing the amount of volume you're talking about here, you know, you're consuming a lot of services there and it's a guaranteed income for them. Why shouldn't you get a discount on those type of things? And right now, if you were to do it before this, you'd have to do private pricing or sort of EDP discount to get this benefit. Now you don't have to do that, which is nice. And so this is, it's kind of the same argument of like, well, Google just gives me a discount if I have the server up for more than 20 days of the month. Why can't you do that, Amazon? There's reasons for that, but just what it is. The 24 cents comes into play at 200 billion requests per month. For example, in the article, is 500 billion. So you might be over 200 billion. We're not over 200 billion. I just had a <laughs> back to the napkin calculation. We're only 160 billion. <sighs> so the normal price was free for the first million, and then it was 40 cents. So you're going to get those now for 30 cents a piece instead of 40 cents. So there you go. Right. Right. So, hey, you saved a dime for every billion, million requests. Well, I think that's pretty cool. A nice little New Year's gift to all of us. And then they also gave us coal with the new Amazon Elastic Container Service <laughs> launching the new management console. Now, I'll admit that the old console was not great, but serviceable. I have many quibbles, things that were just strange or like, why do I have to go? Like, what's the difference between a service and a task? And why are they in different tabs? And why do you give a different identifier for an EC2 instance? Like, just weird things like that. But this new console is apparently supposed to allow you to create, edit, view, and delete services and tasks for your ECS cluster in fewer simpler steps. And you can also learn more about ECS capabilities and discover your ECS resources quickly and easily in the new console, as well as switch back to the existing console if you need. A new experience will be continuously updated until all functionality is ported over. And it also includes a new wizard for creating new services and tasks and ALBs and all that stuff as well, which is probably where the failures are. And I'm going to turn this over to Brian, because I'm sure he's got way more experience with the ECS console on this new UI than I do. Oh, do I? The first time I got exposed to the UI was troubleshooting an outage. And so the last place that you really want to learn new features about a service is when you're in firefighting mode. And so helpful pop-ups of now you can find the stuff over here was very frustrating. But, you know, I get why they do that kind of thing because no one reads documentation. But it is sort of frustrating when you're going through it. I like improvements to the UI. I just wish they were a little better. I like the idea that they're combining services and tasks and the instances they're running on into a single view because that was really the biggest fault with the existing UI. But to strip out the functionality that they did where I can no longer view specific metrics about those services or tasks. I can no longer just group all the logs from CrowdWatch in directly in one UI anymore. And Other than that, it just feels like the same sort of React stuff that they've been pushing out where it's caching certain values from previous searches and it's not caching the other ones and it's it's really inconsistent in the browser behavior. So it's, I want to like it because I like them improving things, but 
with all the recent changes, as always, while I want to like it, it sort of just aggravates me. They make changes that I don't think are necessary, and they're just disrupting the flow of things for no real benefit. So, meh. I think they're optimizing for developers who want to click, click, click through things to play with stuff, and they're not optimizing for people who deployed things with infrastructure as code, and they resort to using the console for debugging. It's two completely separate use cases. That does speak volumes, right? Like, Because creating a new resource makes sense for a company that makes money on running resources. I get why they would prioritize that, but yeah, that's not typically my use case. I'm typically using that after it's running the UI, mm. so it's, maybe I'm just not their user base. It's pretty amazing, though. It seems like of all the amazing services that all the hyperscalers have developed, brilliant stuff that everybody has such a hard time with UIs for it. Because it's engineers making stuff for engineers. They, UI is never a strong suit in that area. I don't know. Like the Google UI for a lot of its cloud services is really slick and intuitive. And I have an easier time navigating it until it gets into the actual meat of the services where I lose all sort of comprehension. Like Google's as a company, they made a great UI for Google.com. It's awesome. Yeah. It's perfect, right? It's exactly yeah. what I want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And I haven't spent some time with Google Console in probably six months or so. But you know, last time I used it, it, it has this problem of, yes, it's intuitive and it's logically grouped out. But then when you're like, okay, well, now I need the advanced settings of this thing, that's where it falls down. So if you want the simple stuff, super easy to find, super easy, nice wizards, nice walkthroughs. And then you're like, okay, but I want to turn on this weird TLS encryption level feature and you had to go find it. <laughs> and it's buried under gear icons or weird advanced more buttons. Like they have that problem. And then the worst one is Azure, who has, you know, no idea how to logically organize anything. No. And so like you're like, where is the CD in it? Well, I think it's in deliverability, but I'm not sure. It might be in content replication. Like it's just so many weird places Azure shoves stuff that I don't really understand yeah. what their thoughts are. The Azure console is unusable to me. Like as someone who sucks at UIs in general in navigating, <laughs> that one is just, I look at it and it just may as well just be a foreign language. And it's only like the fifth version of that console. So it's only gotten worse in my opinion. <laughs> you should have used a premium console. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I'm too cheap for the premium console or the yeah. ultra premium console. So I guess ultra premium would just be professional services doing everything for you, right? <laughs> it's, that'd be the ultra premium option. All right. Well, GCP wants to help you find logs fast with their new tail-uff functionality in cloud logging. And this is not actually tail-uff. To run this amazing command, you run a command called gcloud alpha logging tail, quotation mark, severity greater than equals error, quotation mark, to get to the logs for new deployed applications. This can be further filtered down if that is too much data for you by adding additional ands or ors. And this will all display directly to you in the command line. So you can tail just like you are used to with a command line utility, but in the actual Google Cloud interface. You also can have this on the console with a much better interface, which is a GUI that allows you to stream logs, pause them, explore, and link them to traces, etc. But apparently they did this because it was demanded by their Linux users. that They wanted a tool to mimic this behavior. So thank you, Linux users, for giving us gcloud alpha logging tail, <laughs> which hopefully, <laughs> once it goes into production, will become gcloud logging. But because it is still in preview, it's an alpha. And then they'll break it when they change it to beta, which will piss everybody off, and then they'll finally come to write with this. Yeah, I mean, I guess I like the feature. I just wish it was called something else. And I wish the user experience for the command was completely different. <laughs> That's it. That's all I want different. There's that deal. meme. I like it, but not a lot. That was what you just said. <laughs> you could just create your own little alias, though, and name it whatever you want. And I think it's pretty cool when at least they're looking at the normal workflow and user interface that the users 
are comfortable using and trying to mimic those. I think that's super cool. One thing I like is the sort of conditional on the severity is greater than error. I love that idea of actually doing those comparison of non-numeric values and really having the logic clued in so that you can sort of like, I want more than this basic level of logging. And I'm sure that the inverse works as well. So it is very neat and it is definitely improvement. I love reading logs because I don't have enough hobbies. So, And having those conditions work live and not have to run a job to ETL the stuff to strip out the things you don't care about. And all of a sudden, you can only see things that are 15 minutes old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, moving on to Redmond and Azure. The first up is the Azure HealthBot, which is just the Microsoft HealthBot, but with a fancy name and some new functionality as well. That new functionality allows it to basically tie in directly to your Azure organization to allow you to use Azure's enhanced tooling, security and compliance offerings. Customers will be able to seamlessly migrate from the Microsoft Healthcare Bot to the Azure Healthcare Bot, a few simple steps and no downtime. As a native Azure service, Azure HealthBot benefits investments in Azure security as well as comprehensive compliance coverage of any cloud service provider, as well as a standard Azure management tools and a 99.9% SLA commitment. Currently only available in East US and West Europe regions, uh, with six more regions coming over the next few months. And there's a quote here from Kate Judge, Executive Director at American Nurses Foundation. As part of our well-being initiative, we created the stress self-assessment tool using the Azure HealthBot. This tool offers an anonymous way for nurses to check on themselves and receive guidance to safeguard their well-being. The bot helps nurses discover and make use of a variety of evidence-based ways to build strength and maintain health like peer support, guided relaxation, apps with well-being tools, and webinars. So there you go. <laughs> It reminds me of that the joke, isn't it? You, you call up and Doctor Philip, people ignoring me. Press nine. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because every time I see Azure and Bot in the same sentence, all I can imagine is Clippy. Oh god! And like, yes. you know, like it's Clippy talking at me, and so like it's funny to think about how old Clippy was. You know, they're so ahead of their time in the sense, like now everyone's about these AI learning bots or you know, customer service bots. And mm-hmm. in one sense, it's really like kind of a technological marvel. On the other hand, it's Clippy, and sweet God, go away! <laughs> <laughs> I love Clippy, especially when he asks things like, "Would you like me to annoy you constantly, or just some of the time?" <laughs> Surprised only 99.9% though, because if it's really for use in healthcare, then that there are normally more strict availability requirements. I mean, it's an SLA, so there's the contractual promise and there's the actual uptime, right? That's- mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when Clippy was, you know, Microsoft was trying to make Clippy a big deal and they had a bunch of different animations you could do, like, like a little magician or a little sorcerer Merlin guy, and they had a bunch of others. And one of the very first programming things I ever learned in school was how to program one of those little guys to <laughs> come <laughs> on the screen and talk, which was sort of, you know, one of those things that, like, Microsoft was like, this be the future of these Clippy things. And then, you know, that died a horrible death. And it was like, oh, that's my first experience with products that fail. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I've got a lot invested in this. Yeah. I had a whole project, and I think I got a, a B plus on that test. Nice. You don't like the humor I put into the bot. But, you know, ah, see, the teachers subjective. Didn't get you. Just didn't understand. Just didn't understand. You think they rebranded it so that the revenue would roll up under Azure instead of Microsoft? I mean, if it's making that much revenue to make a difference, <laughs> then sure. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they did. Well, pennies count now. <laughs> Well, this fantastic headline from the register says, this better not be a cruel prank. Microsoft promises 99.99% uptime for Azure Active Directory starting April 1st, <laughs> uh, which I thought was fantastic. 
Uh, apparently, Azure has offered the Azure AD with a 99.9% uptime, which is all fine until September when they had a terrible, terrible outage for multiple hours. And to resolve this, they are increasing their promise uptime to 99.99%. Of course, if you're using Azure AD, you know this is critical to your Office 365 infrastructure as well as your Azure cloud. And last year, Microsoft VP of Engineering said they were raising the bar for resilience of the Azure AD service in general. As you know, the new SLA only covers user auth and federation and not admin features. So you won't be able to change your AD. So if you fire somebody while your AD is down, they can still access your systems. Keep that in mind. Although they can still auth and federate. So that could be a security issue for some, I'm sure. Uh, some of the things that they have implemented, now this isn't just a contractual thing, as Ryan would have pointed out just a minute ago. This actually has some backing to it. They uh, Achieving the higher uptime, including increasing the fault domain isolation model to limit failure to a subset of users. So when it does fail, it only impacts a smaller user population. And they have a new backup authorization method, which is also in development and already in use by Outlook Web Access and SharePoint Online. And this will be integrated into further services during the course of the year. And all I can say when I see that is a backup auth method. Is that a Trojan horse replacement for AD that's coming for the cloud, maybe? That's all mm. I see there. Mm. That's like when you print out a bunch of codes when you register for a service and use these codes to recover <laughs> if you can't remember your password and you print them out and you keep them with the keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I just <laughs> saved them to my Dropbox, which it says specifically, don't save this on your computer. Uh-huh. I'm like, no, no, it's in my Dropbox. <laughs> it's in the cloud. Because if I printed them out, they'd be gone. I have no idea where they'd be at at this point. Yeah. Hopefully the back auth method doesn't require a HT access file on every box. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Well, apparently Azure is also releasing some new UIs this week with the new application change analysis, which has a new UI to show you changes in all Azure resources under a selected subscription. The previous version of the UI apparently showed you only a limited number of change entries per page, and there was no way to filter out noisy entries such as resources with zero changes. Apparently, strong feedback was received, as they should, because that sounds terrible. <laughs> the, the limitations block manage multiple resources and viewing changes at scale, and so the new UI supports querying and loading for changes at scale, so you can filter by resource type, change detection time, and view all changes on a single page. Uh, you can check out the new UI because you won the lottery and are being A-B tested, and you already have it, or you can force it through a feature flag linked in the article if you're curious about this. I like the fact that they're allowing people to opt in using feature flags. You know, that's yeah. kind of a neat thing. A lot of UIs are starting to do that, like try our new experience, which I always sort of appreciate being able to make that choice myself. That's I mean, it. I haven't used this UI, but I already can tell you I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon forced the new UI on you and then gave you an option to roll back, but you just still didn't click the button when you're in the outage. You just I did, actually. I clicked the button immediately because I was so frustrated. And then I felt guilty because I do like progress. I do like change. And I kind of got to give feedback. And so I turned it back on. And they got mad all over again. This is a very quick peek and a highlight of my day. <laughs> like, this is how I work. I'm like, no, no, I know this sucks. So let me turn it back on so I can tell you how much it sucks. Those account level feature flags can be a bit of a chore though. I think about mm-hmm. when you set up a new Amazon account, there are some magical things that you have to set, some attributes that you've got to set at the account level. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's not I always prefer the feature intuitive. flag when it's just a URL, something you append to the URL where you basically, you know, new equals true or something like that. And then you basically get the new experience. I prefer those versus account level or you mm-hmm. know, something I had to go into a settings panel and hit change, especially when they're changing the settings panel, <laughs> which is always fun. Like I went to the thing, I click the button and then everything changed and I hate everything and I can't find where that button is yeah. to turn it back off. And all the uh, documentation references the old way of doing things, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, Right, exactly. <laughs> the button to turn so. it back off again is in the old console that you can't get to because you turned it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, that's it for our big three. So to pad the show time, because that's what I do, I pulled an Oracle story for you guys. Love <laughs> it. My go-to content filler, Oracle, is here again. And they released this blog post in December, and I've been saving it for this rainy day. And since it's Dawn twenty one, we'll check in to see what they're doing. And they're giving you five reasons to move to Oracle Cloud. And so I thought I'd give you each of the five 
And you can tell me what you think if that makes you compelled to move to Oracle Cloud. How do you, what do you guys think? You know, I'm always open to change and new ideas. Let's, let's fill this out. All right. So the first reason for moving to the Oracle Cloud is they are the next generation cloud and on-premises infrastructure. And this is an argument they've been making for a while that they are the only cloud that gives you basically cloud 2.0, which is all about not having access to the host, which, you know, for those of us who have been paying attention, all of the cloud providers are doing now with things like Nitro. And the only way you can get this legacy method on Amazon is if you launch a pre-Nitro instance. So if you need this, you can get this on your own way. As well as the other part of this, their meaning is that you can use their autonomous stuff in their data center. So like Unbreakable Linux, as well as Unbreakable Oracle and all the things. And I did see Unbreakable Linux today before you guys call me out and say, wait, they still have that? Yes, they still have Oracle Linux. And they just announced that they are going to be supporting Red Hat 6 because CentOS 6 is going away, of course. And so they are trying to fill the gap with their new Oracle Unbreakable Linux 6 for you. So just mm-hmm. keep in mind. That's the first reason. So what do you guys think? Next generation cloud, the only next generation cloud, cloud 2.0, and on-premise infrastructure using their autonomous stuff in your data if center. They, if they restricted this down to compute, I still wouldn't agree with it, but I would at least feel like it wasn't just this glaring lie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have Oracle DBAs that still have to maintain Oracle databases. So until that goes away, I'm sort of suspicious about unbreakable Oracle. Yeah. When I read this article, I was, most of the article is really targeted at people deciding whether or not to move to the cloud. And so it could be argued that a lot of what they're saying is that they're better than on-prem, not they're better than some of the other cloud providers. So sure, these are five great reasons to move to Oracle, but... We've only given you one, so... Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it is phenomenal. It's fantastic. So the second reason (laughs) to move along is autonomous operations, highlighting their autonomous features and how everything will just run magically in their data centers. It's never that easy. It's more nuanced, in my opinion. But if you have a time to spend on Oracle licensing, you know, maybe this is a good way to get a good break. That's my call. But that's the next one, autonomous operations, automatic cloud management, because that's never failed anybody. I mean, again, this is one of those things, if it were true, it would be fantastic. There's entire, you know, industries and companies that are built on trying to provide this. And I do believe that continuing to strive towards autonomous operations really is a smart investment. It is the future. Are they actually getting there? Like we've talked in previous podcasts about how hard it is to sort of interact with Oracle and it's not the greatest model for test runs, but I wish it were true. I just really doubt it. Well, and they're also, again, the devil's in the details. You read the article and they're actually really only talking about their database. Mm-hmm. Well, the third one is their choice of deployment. You can run it on-premise or on the cloud. You can't do that if you're only in your <laughs> data center. <laughs> <laughs> True. I mean, then there's yeah. only Google Anthos and now EKS, ECS and Outposts, Azure Stack. I mean, this is your reason to choose Oracle Cloud. Like everyone else has this too. Thanks for playing. And can you? Like, yeah. Which workloads? Like, is it everything? Or is it just Oracle? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Again, it's one of those questionable areas. We're like, well, yeah, we'll sell you a ton of Exadata hardware and put it in your data center. It's no no problem. Well, I wasn't doing Outpost, though. It's not really different. It's Oracle infrastructure, Oracle API-driven private cloud stuff, just like Outpost. I can't deny them that slight win. It's optimized for the Oracle workloads. Again, like I mentioned before, if you are using Oracle and you're spending a ton of money, then this might be a great play for you. I definitely <laughs> would consider it. Or if you're using, you know, all of their Oracle financial products, whatever, you know, move to their SaaS product. I, yeah, sure. I can't think of a better way to offload my Oracle junk to someone else who cares. I always thought optimized for Oracle workloads meant that it came with a built-in credit card reader. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Should have saved that. Yeah. Move that to lightning round. You get the first point of the year. Yep. 
<laughs> yes, he would. <laughs> and then the fifth reason is the better price performance of the Oracle Cloud. And I would argue this one that every cloud has things that are cheaper at and more expensive at. And perhaps Zoom and you're using a lot of networking. Oracle's network is super cost effective. So definitely check that out. Your experience will vary. Do your testing, do your validation, and don't just go on this blind better price performance because it may not be true in all cases. May not be true. Well, when you're spending $50 million on Oracle licenses, I mean, I'm sure they can afford to subsidize the cost of networking a little bit. And, you know, the optimized for Oracle workloads, like it fits right in with my multi-cloud strategy. Like that is how I believe multi-cloud should work, right? If I have a whole bunch of Oracle workloads and it's more price effective to run it in Oracle cloud and it's going to get better support. This is a compelling reason to just have that workload in this cloud, and I would have my other workload in other clouds. That's how multi-cloud should work, not just a single workload across multiple clouds. Right. The right workload in the right cloud. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, these are all true. Yeah, I'm not compelled, though. I'm not compelled, though. So (laughs) it's rough. Oracle can work on this, I think, very soon. And give me something more than Gen 2 cloud. It was false when he said it the first time two years ago. It's still false now. Like, give me something better. And this autonomous stuff that's supposed to be automatically configuring your cloud, like, stop buzzword bingoing me and actually tell me what it does and how it works. And, you know, because all I hear is Azure AI where they're automatically going to close firewall ports. I'm like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I don't want that. What could possibly go wrong? Exactly. So, yeah, keep it up, Oracle. You know, we'll keep an eye on you and see what you guys bring to the table, but try harder. Hello, I'm Mark, co-founder and chief product officer at OpenRaven. OpenRaven is a cloud security platform that's data aware. We continuously monitor for data security policy violations and potential compliance issues, such as personal information in unencrypted databases and GDPR data on EU data subjects being stored in jurisdictions that require specific security controls. Get notified immediately with email, text, or Slack, or drive incident management workflows by sending data through AWS EventBridge to your security orchestration and event management tools. You can quickly visualize and triage policy violations using the OpenRaven console and easily automate workflows to resolve the violation and prevent data loss before it happens. Visit openraven.com slash the cloud to learn more and start a free trial to discover, classify, monitor, and protect the data you have in the cloud. That's it for new news this week. Peter, you want to take us to the lightning round? A fresh year. Zero, zero, zero. It's a lot of zeros. Actually, I got a bone to pick with you. You said that the last lightning round of the year was going to get a thousand points. I lied. You did. (laughs) This is your first discovery of that fact? He said other things about lightning round too that never came true. So. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Nevada Gaming Commission does not control me. To start the year, hey, uh, right now, everyone controls their own destiny. So all you have to do is win every week and you win the year. No one's out of it. It's even a fair year for Ryan now since he's here for the whole year. All right, here we go. AWS Control Tower console shows more detail about external AWS config rules. Which is what everyone loves when Amazon tells you how you're doing it wrong in your own data center. No, no, think of the advantage here. All you have to do is have config rules in every account. And then they can be different from one another. Genius. Amazon Work Docs offers additional collaboration controls throughout its Android app. I mean, first of all, there's enough customers to justify an Android app that want to collaborate with each other. That's impressive. You know, you get the impression that the general manager for Work Docs has an Android phone. 
Yeah, maybe. It's very possible. <laughs> this is a feature set for one. He's like, I'm not going to bonus this year because we have missed our numbers, but I'm going to have this Android app. Let me tell you. <laughs> Amazon App Stream 2.0 adds support for real-time audio video. I mean, someday someone will tell me what App Stream 2.0 does, but it's too late. I feel like I can't ask. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's similar to next-gen App Stream. It's like using the definition to describe the de- like, you know. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that, Peter. I really appreciate your insights. Goes to Peter, I think, for that. (laughs) (laughs) Announcing new AWS wavelength zones in Denver and Seattle. I mean, I'm shocked that it wasn't in Seattle before because that's where all the devs are. Like, okay, how do you test this thing? Oh, we don't. It's in New York and San Francisco and other places. Mm -hmm. Six years later, oh, we finally have it in Seattle. We can test it locally. (laughs) This is how you know we didn't have enough stuff for this round because we would have never. Because this made it. Yeah, Yeah, really. Yeah, the quiet week even has a short lightning round. Mm -hmm. Amazon AtFlow now supports Salesforce Pardo. Pardon me? When did Salesforce get brand recognition for Pardo? That's a weird flex. (laughs) Yeah. Only because Amazon gave it to them, apparently. You know who's not winning today unless he's really sharp on this last one. <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's going to hold it. He, this is know, his he's ninja wait, He's been waiting. He's been waiting. <laughs> yeah. He focuses Amazon, on his effort. Amazon EC2 R5B instances are now certified for SAP workloads. No pressure, Jonathan. <laughs> Just giving you more and more ways to burn money down the drain. <laughs> oh. No. I was so close on all those things, but... Nothing good enough. Nothing. Nothing good. I'm about quality this year, not quantity. Well, I got to say, I got to say, I think the most creative of those, although Justin was the most verbose, I think the most creative was the manager of WorkDocs having an Android (laughs) phone. (laughs) That was pretty good. Ryan, for the first time in the history of the sport, you lead for the year. The crowd goes wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was fun. It runs away the rest of the year. Jonathan and I are like, yeah. what, what happened there? Yeah. He just hired a writer from, uh, yeah. Yeah. from yeah. Mechanical yeah. Turk. I, I've outsourced <laughs> this to someone much funnier than me. Exactly. <laughs> At great expense. The problem is people who are funnier than us don't know anything about cloud. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, unless there's a cloud comedian out there that I don't know about other than Corey. <laughs> I don't know how to outsource it properly. Yeah, so, that's a good point. That's the reason why Lightning Round, basically, we got rid of Weekend Update Lightning Round because mm-hmm. we weren't comedy writers. Speaking of which, this is the 100th episode, so congratulations to Yay. all four of you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good 100 job. episodes. I already drank my celebration in advance waiting for you guys to join the call, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a I have to wait until <laughs> January 14th for that. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, do check out our blog post on the website. All four of us have contributed to a fantastic blog post where we talk about the last 100 episodes. As I wrote the 25 episode, I said I wasn't writing by myself this time, and so I pulled them all into the process. So they'll, you can check that out on the website as well as on our newsletter that goes out. And if you're not part of our newsletter, do check that out on our website and sign up today to get this. Our fantastic show notes in your mailbox every week, just in case you can't keep up with the live show. You can at least get the show notes as it's a fantastic way to keep up to date. And because it is our 100th episode, we are trying to offload the hundreds of stickers that I have in my house by discounting all of our stickers by 75%. (laughs) So we give you two codes to use. You can either use the 100 episode coupon code or you can use 2020 sucks. Oh, we should have changed it to sucked. (laughs) 
Yeah, probably. Yeah. But, you know, it's too late so, now. 2020 still sucks, though. I mean, to be honest, that stink's going to be on us for a little while. So well, yeah, gonna... we're going to be stuck with that for a bit. <laughs> so anyway, so those are available to you. All of our stickers, all of our pins, all of the great stuff that's out there on the website is available to you for 75% off. I do still apologize for the international shipping. It is still expensive. If you someone had that great idea that we should find people who want to store stickers in their house and then ship them for us, international places, if that's you, I don't know who that is do ping us we are definitely excited love to get you stickers the amazing lambda spackle sticker or just a clap pods or tcp talk sticker all available to you 75 percent off which brings me down to like what ryan dollar 50 a piece dollar 25 i believe oh, yeah dollar 25 so mm-hmm. you know from the usual i think five bucks so there you go you're all yours for the taking order in bulk send me to the post office multiple times i love going to the post office it's my favorite thing in the entire world especially in covid so definitely you know the more you buy the more i have to go to the post office that's all i have to say Stamps.com, I'm supposed to pick it up from your house. Yeah, they're expensive. It's much cheaper to buy a roll of stamps. You just stamp it on the envelope and then you just drop it at the mailbox. It's <laughs> super simple. I'm going to start ordering like a sticker a week. Oh, just because I'm mean. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that happening. It's very possible. I ordered eight mugs today and 10 free mass mats. <laughs> <laughs> if you get to give me a $50 credit to the company store, I'm going to make the best use of it possible. <laughs> that's, that's genius. I love it. I was trying to decide if I should buy them, but I, I chose not to. Anyway, <laughs> that is it for another great week in cloud. We will be here next week with more news from AWS, Azure, and GCP, and maybe Oracle. You never know. Oracle might become a steady show contributor. You never know. Thanks, guys. All right. See you. Bye, everybody. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions.